Buenos días familia, buenos días, buenos días, we'll try it again, buenos días familia, buenos días, there we go, come on, I love it. If we haven't met yet, my name is Misael Gonzalez and I'm the lead pastor here, and I just want to welcome you, and uh, to all my mothers or mother figures or anyone who wants to be a mother at some point in time, and happy Mother's Day to you. Uh, this is such an incredible day that honestly gives us an excuse, if we're being honest, gives us an excuse to say, hey, I love you, I honor you, and I, and I want to do that. And uh, so maybe today you're, you're uh, getting to honor or love someone, or maybe you're the person getting loved and honored, so I hope you feel that. And uh, I also want to just understand just today, um, I think today can be hard for some people, right, because some of us maybe don't know our mothers, maybe some of us don't have our mothers, Maybe some of us are not mothers yet, and we really want to be. And so I understand how hard that can be. Um, and because of that, we want to just love you and honor you as a church. And so after the service, we're actually want to give, we want to give all of our mothers or mother figures, um, or really just our ladies, just a flower. And this flower is just a token of us saying, hey, we honor you, we love you, and we want to walk with you um, in, in your life. And so I just want to make sure you guys... Uh, we're aware of that, so whenever you get handed a flower by someone you don't know, well, now you know <laughs> kind of what's going on. Um, and so what I want to do is I just want to pray. I want to pray for our mothers, and I just think about my mom. My mom's four hours away, so I want to pray for her too. So let's go ahead and start our service uh, together in, in praying. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for days like today that we just have an excuse to love and honor our mothers God, thank you so much for the strength that you give them, the wisdom that you give them. Lord, thank you for those mother figures that have stepped in to our lives. Uh, Lord, I think about my grandma and how she stepped into my life in moments because my mom was working two jobs. Uh, Lord, thank you for those mother figures that help us and guide us and teach us um, even those little things like brush your hair, brush your teeth, uh, put deodorant on, like all those things. Like I'm thankful for that. Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for a day like today because we're reminded of how incredible of a miracle it is that mothers can give birth. Like, that's just such an incredible miracle that um, is just so hard to comprehend, but it's just so amazing. Lord, right now, I, I pray for those who maybe this day brings hurt, brings hurt for different reasons. Lord, I pray that they would realize and recognize that you are their creator, their savior, their redeemer, their sustainer, their strength, their peace, their everything. Lord, I pray that, that they would feel so comforted by you today. Uh, as I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 5 that says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So I pray for that just miracle of comfort in their life. Um, because God, we need that. And so Lord, we pray uh, all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you for uh, praying with me. So today we're going to continue just in our trek of First Peter together. And uh, we're kind of like in this mini-series that we started last Sunday and we're ending this Sunday. Uh, so that's just kind of how it's going to work out. And this is a series called Forged, which you've kind of seen the bumper for it. And we're going to be talking today about Forged to Live. Forged to Live, that's kind of the title. But let me just kind of define what Forged means for you. Because you might be asking, Misael, I really don't even know what that word means. Well, that's okay. I Googled it for you. So here's just kind of what it says. So forge, here's what it means. To make or shape metal by heating it in a fire or a furnace and hammering it. 
Another definition is to create a new relationship or condition. To forge is to mold something, and check this out, in an intense way. And then my little definition of forge is to build up by striking out the impurities. So think about that. Forge is to build up by striking out the impurities. And that's actually a little bit of what we're going to be seeing this morning. And so as we look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 together, I want you to go ahead and turn there with me. 1 Peter chapter 2. And the verse we're going to start in is verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9. And as we just look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at it more in the weeks to follow, we see that this chapter is just all about growing spiritually, but also being a spiritual example for others. So growing spiritually and then being a spiritual example for others. And when we think about this, we, we know that in our lives, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, it's not just like a one-time decision, but it's a lifelong discipleship with him. Right? So not a one-time decision, but a lifelong discipleship where God is molding us and shaping us, forging us, if you will, to be more and more like him. It's like this divine process that whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We are, we are baptized, and now God is continuously forging us to look more like him. And this is kind of a divine process that we call sanctification. And again, sanctification is just this big word that just describes and summarizes that God is helping us become more and more like him. And it's not fun, right? Sanctification, looking more like God who's holy and perfect, it's really not fun sometimes. So that's why the word forged is maybe kind of good for us to say, to build up by striking out the impurities of our life. And so many people say, Misael, that kind of sounds like it's like, hurtful and wrong and like kind of kind of like it sucks and I'm like well in some ways sure <laughs> but it leads to true life in Christ Amen. it leads a true real life with him and so we're going to be looking at we are forged to live and, and to walk in obedience uh, to Jesus and so let's go ahead and stand up together and read first Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 9 and we're going to go all the way to verse 12 So it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. This is the word of the Lord. And praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So I always give you a main idea, right? And this main idea, I always say, hey, when you're at lunch, here's the one thing you can say that I learned at church today. Because I remember growing up and people asking me, hey, what'd you learn at church today? And I was like, I don't know, something about the Bible, you know, something like that. But I want you guys to just grasp something that you can like give at lunch and say, hey, here's what I learned. So here's what it is. God purifies us. 
God purifies us. You see, when you think about sin, we are born into sin. Like we are born into this corrupt world and we are born 100% corrupted. And this sin has a 100% death rate. This sin has a 100% corruption rate. And the only way we can be purified, the only way we can be made new, the only way we can be saved is Jesus and Jesus alone. Like we have to be able to confess our sin, be able to confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's Savior, that he's our treasure, that he is all we need and all that we have. But, you know, there's this interesting dynamic in that whole thing, though. There's an interesting dynamic because when we, whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus, yes, we are saved from our sin. Yes, we are saved from corruption. But we're not exactly saved from a corrupt world or a sinful world. Like, we're still here. Like, whenever we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're not, like, zapped up to be with Jesus in that moment. But we are left here to be a holy people with a holy purpose. And so we have to understand this whole just interesting dynamic of saying we're not going to 100% experience a world without sin or corruption until Jesus comes back. And so for me, it's just like, Lord, like I long for you to come back because, you know, fighting my sin and fighting temptation gets really tiring. And God, I just really need your help. God, I, I need you to purify me. I need you to help me fight temptation fight sins, what Ephesians 6 says, fight the spiritual uh, demons of this world. Man, Lord, help me. And you see right now, I just kind of want to make it personal real quick. There might be some of you who are just new believers in this room. There might be some of you who have been believers for a long time, and you're like, Misael, man, there's this sin, this temptation in my life right now that I just keep fighting and fighting. And Misael, what's wrong with me? Like, I thought I'd put my faith and trust in Jesus. Like, I thought I was done with this. I thought I was made new. Here's what I want you to know. You're not alone. Like, you're not by yourself. Because, again, yes, we've been saved from our sin, our corruption. But we're still in a sinful world. And there's this battle between our flesh and our spirit. And we're going to get into it just in a little bit about that. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Keep fighting. Man, the struggle is going to always be there. The fight's always going to be there. But keep fighting and keep depending on the Lord. Keep saying, Lord, I need your help. I need you. Because the moment you say, hey, I got this, is the moment we fail. So we need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I depend on you. I need you to continue to fight this fight, to do what it's saying right here, because I am a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And so as we look at this passage together, I do want to look at verses 9 and 12, or 9 to 10, and just give you just a point to, gra to grab onto. So from verses 9 to 10, here's kind of the point that I want you to hold on to, is that Christians are new people. Christians are new people. And I'm going to read this again. I'm going to read it slowly because a lot of times we'll read this and we'll just read over chosen people, royal priesthood, and we don't even actually understand what that means. But it says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy mercy. Yes, you see, I think it's safe to say that most of us understand that general concept that Christians are made to be new people, like they are made new in Jesus. But here's my question like to us and to you, what does that actually mean? 
Like, what does it actually mean to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession? You see, what does it actually mean to be made new by Jesus? And here's what I like to say. Without Jesus, we are incomplete human beings. We are only made complete in him when we put our faith and trust in him. And we can only be restored by Jesus and Jesus alone. And when that happens... We are new people, and there's a new way to live. There's a new way to be. And so we're going to be looking at that. And so as new people, we are a chosen people. In the Spanish, I like how it kind of translates it into like a chosen lineage. Um, and so what does that actually mean for us? When we look at this whole aspect of a chosen people here, we just see God's immense love and initiative to bring people to himself. It's just this, this, this way that God is like, you know what? I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of my church. And this should just be so encouraging us to say, you know what? It's, it's so clear that God sees humans as valuable. Like there is value in humanity and, and there's value in each and every one of us where God is like, man, I wanted to die for you. I wanted to pursue you. I wanted you to be a part of what we're doing. And this really ties to the Old Testament and ties to Israel because we see that Israel was this like chosen people in the Old Testament. And now because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, now the non-Israelites can be part of that chosen lineage, that chosen people, the people who are walking with the Lord, who know him. And I, again, I just want to make this really personal for us because I don't know when's the last time you heard this, but I just want you to hear it from me. What God is saying is that you have value. My friends, you are valuable in the eyes of the Lord. And what's amazing is that God says that those who are my people, man, they're a special possession of mine. They're a special treasure of mine. God's special possession. So then we not just see that a chosen people, but a new people also means a royal priesthood. So what does it mean that we are this royal priesthood? Well, really, it means that we kind of have this direct access to God. This direct access where we don't, we don't need um, another human being between us and, and, and God. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the mediator inside of us that we can go directly to him and say, Lord, I need you. Here's what's going on. As a royal priesthood, we serve royalty. Like God is the king of all the universe and we serve him. He's the king of kings and we serve his royalty. And we're part of his like forever kingdom. Not just like... His, his little kingdom until one day it gets overthrown. But I'm talking about his forever kingdom that he will forever be on the throne. And what I like is that if you look at the Old Testament and kind of Exodus and in this whole moment in Exodus, you kind of see that this whole royal priesthood label is not just on one individual, but it's on the group of people. It's like you are a royal priesthood. You serve royalty. You are the ones who reflect the glory of God to the people around you. You reflect his immense power, his love, his kindness, his goodness. You reflect the glory to all the nations. You reflect the glory of God in such a way that everybody knows that God does not have a rival. God is God and no one can stand against him. And this leads me to just ask the question, what would it look like in our lives if, if we really took that into account? Like, what would it look like for us if we truly understood, you know what, I am part of that royal priesthood. Like, how would we act differently or do differently in our homes, in our schools, in our workplace, in all those moments that we step? 
how am I reflecting the glory of God and how would things be different? I asked that question because uh, I actually hung out with some pastors this week. And uh, these pastors, you know, they have some really interesting stories. Like, I don't have those stories yet. I hope to one day. But I was, I was sitting down with a pastor, and he was like, you know, Misael, <clears throat> I have this, uh, this, new, this new couple that are coming to our church. And the, the wife is saved, and the husband is not. And the husband only comes, like, maybe, like, once every five months. But the wife is dedicated. She's always here. Man, she's been transformed by Jesus. And you know me, Sal, I got, I got the weirdest phone call ever. I got a phone call from that husband. And the husband was like, <clears throat> Pastor so-and-so, I need your help. I just don't understand. <clears throat> ever since my wife has met you, hold on. <clears throat> I was like, something in my throat. Yeah, I know. You got it too. I got it too. And he calls and he goes, you know, ever since my wife has met you, she's just been more happy. And I, I need your help. Why is my wife more happy after she met you? And the pastor is like, oh, man. Um, well, I promise it wasn't me. I promise it wasn't me. Um, but help me understand what you mean. He goes, well, I don't know. She keeps on talking about this Jesus guy. And, like, I just don't know who this guy is. Like, I want to beat him up. Like, what's going on? She's so happy. She goes out to church all the time. Where does he say, I want to be there right next to him and just give him a good? And the pastor is like, oh, man, okay. He goes, well, how about we meet? And so they meet together, and, and the pastor's sitting there with this guy, and he's just furious. And the pastor begins to say, hey, let me show you the Jesus that your wife is talking about. Let me show you the Jesus that makes your wife so happy. Uh, let, me, let me show you who he is. And it was just so fascinating to me because the husband just got to see the difference and the change in this, in this daughter of the Lord. This change in, in his wife of saying, what does she have that I don't? And I know we've heard stories of like that before, but this past week I was just reminded of how as a royal priesthood, we were to reflect the glory of God wherever we go. And that's what she was doing. She was a new believer. She, she didn't know all the ins and outs of the Bible. She didn't know all the theology. Man, but she knew that Jesus had changed her life and that she had hope. And that changed so much in her life. And now, that husband, he knows Jesus. He knows that same Jesus. Not this one, but the other one. And now he's the one who's out there and he's saying, you know what, I need to tell people why I'm so happy, why I'm so joyful. And so with this royal priesthood that reflects the glory of God, and, and then it goes that as new people, we are a holy nation. So you might be asking, Misael, what does it mean for us to be a holy nation like Help me understand. And, and so when it comes to this holy nation, really it's this emphasis that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we are, in, we are really transformed into a new nation. That we are, gone, we are now citizens of somewhere new and not here. This is why here in a little bit we'll see that we are called these foreigners and exiles of the earth. But really we are set apart by God to be used by him. We are set apart as, as a people and we are really part of God's nation. And here's what I want you to write down because I, I think this might help us out as we get into different aspects of life that may include politics and whatever. But I want you to write this down. Citizens of heaven should be the best citizens on earth. The best citizens here on earth should be citizens of heaven. Like whenever it comes to 
dealing with people who are difficult, when it comes to our neighbors, when it comes to politics, all this kind of stuff, at the end of the day, man, citizens of heaven should be the best citizens on earth. And that's what we see here. We're a holy nation set apart because God didn't come to just build like holy places. He came to build holy people. God didn't come. Jesus didn't come to to build a holy building, but he came to build holy believers. That's what, he, that's what he came to do. And so as these citizens of heaven, man, let's, let's be people who walk around and people say, you know what? Yeah, you're different. You're, this, you're part of this holy nation that I'm not a part of. And then it continues on saying that we are God's special possession, which again, just shows how much value we have. And, and again, I just want to speak into this. Like, I don't know what kind of insecurities you might be holding on to right now. I don't know what kind of insecurities you've been just struggling with as a person or as a believer. or I don't know what that looks like for you. But right here, God says that if you're in, in Christ, you are God's special possession because you are part of his church. You're part of his church. And, and nothing, nothing can take you away from his hands. And that's just what's so beautiful because he's the one that, that bought you. And he bought you with this eternal payment from this eternal debt. And he's not going to let you go. And so there might be some of you that might be asking, Misael, why does this even matter? <laughs> like, Misael, who cares? <laughs> who cares about this? Well, you see, here's why it matters. It matters because we have hope in Jesus, yes. But then it says right here, we are all of these things. We are new people because we declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We were the people that didn't have mercy, but now we have mercy. And that's why it's so important for us, because God is the beginning and he's the end. We are to declare his praises. And I hope you realize that we could give God praises for a thousand years, and he's still worth so much more. He is worth so much more, but I want to praise him and to worship him because of what he's done for me. He's made me a new person. And so as Christians, we are new people. And so the next thing I want us to look at is actually those last two verses, which is 11 and 12. And so we've seen that Christians are new people, but also Christians have a new purpose. And again, maybe this is something we've heard before, but I really want us to dissect it. Because we have this new purpose. So it says, dear friends... Other translation says, dear beloved, which is like so sweet, especially for Mother's Day, like dear beloved. Dear beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, people who have been transformed by Jesus have a new purpose because if I wasn't a Christian, if I wasn't a believer, I'd probably worship myself. I'd probably think I'd be the coolest, baddest person out there. You'd probably think the same. But you see, as believers in Jesus, man, we understand we're not that cool. We understand we're not that big and bad. We understand that we are nobody. And so how unfulfilling is it to try to fill our own purpose, to try to worship ourselves? But how fulfilling would it be? To say, I'm going to worship the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that the, the one who without him I'd have nothing. And it says right here that we are foreigners and exiles. 
And that should just put in perspective for us that we are here for probably less than 100 years. So yeah, we're only here for a little bit. And that's why it's so important for us to understand that we are these citizens of heaven, this holy nation. But as you see here, there's, there's this war. There's this war in our souls. There's this war in us. And so I want to point you to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 kind of helps us understand that there's these two dogs in the fight in us. Have you guys heard that expression before, or did I just make that up? There's these two dogs in the fight. And so Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says like this, You, brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. Then verses 15 to 18 says like this. Check this out. This is why I say two dogs in the fight. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit contrary to the flesh. They conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. You see, there's these two dogs in the fight. And, and uh, last week I preached in Owasso, and I, and I kind of gave this illustration. And some people got it, some people didn't. So I hope it, it lands today. But this reminds me of my grandpa, my abuelito. <clears throat> now, do your grandparents have these really weird sayings? And maybe you're the grandparent that has the weird saying. I don't know which one you are. But I remember in high school, you know, I played sports. And so, you know, I'd, I'd be doing my thing and playing the sport. And I'd get done. And I'd be sitting in the car. And my grandpa would look at me. And he'd go, Misael, eres un perro amarillo con la mocha. And I was like, excuse me, what did you just say? He goes, Misael, eres un perro amarillo con la mocha. Do you know what that translates to? That translates to this yellow dog without a tail. I was like, Grandpa, you're telling me I'm a yellow dog without a tail? He's like, wait a second. I don't think I've taught you that one before. And I was like, okay, what, like, help me understand what that means. He goes, well, we have this saying in Mexico where, you know, there's these two dogs uh, that would fight. And uh, this dog that was yellow... Um, what, the, what the tail cut off was just always nourished better. Like it was fed better, it was taken care of, you know, they gave it great food. And because of that, it always won. So whenever we say that, whenever we say, eres un perro medio con la mocha, that means that you were well fed and you did a great job, like you won, like good job. And I was just like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But I was like, sure, I'll take it. I'll, I can be the yellow dog without a tail. All right, that's fine. I'll take it, Aulito. And I just, I just laughed about uh, of that because what my grandpa was trying to say, he was saying, Misael, you were fed well, you fed this dog well, and you did a great job. But if you think about this spiritual fight in us, the spiritual fight between the flesh and the spirit, just kind of in us, I have to ask the question, using that dog analogy, which dog are we feeding? Like, are you feeding the flesh dog or the spirit dog? Which one are we feeding? Because if you think about it, consistently satisfying our fleshly desires that are contrary to the word of God, doing that tears us apart as believers. Absolutely tears us apart. And so I want, I want to be the yellow dog without a tail. And I want you to be the, a yellow dog without a tail. Perro amarillo con la mocha. Try saying that five times. Because we are feeding the spirit 
And we are feeding in such a way that, man, we're able to fight these evil desires with the word of God, with the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And we have to, because we are called to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood. We are called to be God's special possession. And, you know, there's moments where I talk to people and they say, well, Misad, like, there's these desires I have. Like, are they sinful? I have this desire to, like, have a house and have a car and, you know, to make some money. And I have a desire to have a family. I have a desire to do this and this and this. And I go, well, there's some desires that are obviously sinful. And there's some desires that I hope you know are okay. Like, those are good desires. But here's what I'm going to warn you with. Whenever you make those desires your God, or whenever you make yourself God, that's when it's sinful. Whenever, whenever you desire something that's more than God, and that's when we're in the wrong. And so there's some desires that are evident that are like, yeah, those are clearly against scripture. But then there's some that are good and okay, just don't make it your God. And so as we finish and as we just look at these last little, little phrases in verse 12, I just want you to see that we are to live such good lives among the pagans, such good lives around those who don't know Jesus. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify the God on the day he visits us. You see, Peter was talking to people who were being accused of being evil because they were Christians. I don't know if you've ever been accused of being evil because you're Christian, but what we see here is, is Peter saying, man, be, be gospel-centered, be Christ-centered. Like the gospel and salvation is not man-centered. It is totally God-centered and Christ-centered and declare him. Like live such lives that say, hey, look at Jesus. Hey, look at Jesus. Don't, don't live lives that say, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look how cool I am. No, live lives in such a way that's like, look at Jesus. Like, my life is Christ-centered, not me-centered. My life is just all about him. I want to live such a life that people can see the evidence in me. And that's really where I just want to challenge us to just end it. I want to challenge us, and, and I just want us to be able to look at our families and to look at ourselves. And, you know, today's going to be a great day that if you have a mother, a mother figure, and you're kind of hanging out with them, this is maybe a great conversation to have with the family of saying, what is the evidence of faith in my life? What's the evidence of faith in our family's life? Because whenever we begin to self-evaluate that, I, mean, I think that's the moment where our eyes begin to kind of open up and, and be able to look at our family and say, hey, Tell me, like, what evidence of faith do you see in me? And if you don't, will you love me in such a way to tell me, hey, do better? Hey, uh, take this next step of faith? Because I want to have that kind of relationship with my friends, with my people, with believers around me that they can honestly look at me and say, Misad, I see the evidence of faith in your life. And I want to be able to look at people and say, hey, I see the evidence of faith in your life. But I also want us to love each other enough to say, hey, I don't, I don't really see that. What's going on? Are you okay? Because again, what I love about Galatians 5 is that it talks about speaking truth and love. So let's be a people who speak truth and love and, and be able to ask that question, hey, what's the evidence of faith in you? What's the evidence of faith in us? And that's really the mission life challenge 
that I'd love to just challenge you with, whether it's today or this week, self-evaluate and ask people to speak into that. Hey, tell me, what's the evidence of faith that you see in me? So what I wanna do right now is I just wanna pray for you and pray for us um, because I think this is gonna be huge for us as we continue to infiltrate the community, as we begin to build trust with the community. Uh, We're gonna do some more blessing bags today And I would hope that as we give away these blessing bags, as we interact with people in the flea market, as we talk to people on the streets, I hope that they'd be able to say, you know what, there's evidence of faith in these people's lives. And they're a lot more happy than I am, even though they're going through all these things. So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that my family and friends in front of me Lord, that they would be that yellow dog without a tail. That they would be the people who feed the spirit, the people who dive into your word, the people who long and seek to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Lord, I pray that if there's someone in here that is listening and and saying, said, I'm not part of that. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in their heart, even in this moment. And that they would say, you know what? I confess my sin. I confess Jesus as Lord because true life is found in him. Lord, I pray that you would help us. You would help us discern in ourselves, help us discern in our family this evidence of faith this evidence of faith that really shows us that we are a new people with a new purpose. Lord, I pray that we would be people that who speak to this community would be the people that they would know who you are because we are pointing them back to you and back to you and back to you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.